1: Hello and welcome into the Jeff Andrea Show here on Thursday, November the 7th, and as always, thanks so much for tuning in. On today's show, I will be talking about the issue of accessibility. To kick off the back half of today's show, I will be joined by Jessica Vliegenhart. She is a local champion when it comes to accessibility issues here in the city of Kamloops. She'll be joining me ahead of a consultation session that will be held in Kamloops next week to reflect on accessibility legislation for British Columbia. BC Minister of Social Development and Poverty Reduction, Shane Simpson, will be hosting the meeting on Tuesday. Uh, That'll be held at 707 Tronquille Road from 6 to 8.30. That's Tuesday evening. So that session is being hosted so people can provide feedback on what they would like to see included in future legislation. Organizers say that they hope the input will help ensure the right things are included in in legislation so that BC can be as accessible and inclusive as possible. So I'll be chatting with Jessica in about 25 minutes on the issue that she has as with current legislation, how the province has handled accessibility issues to date, and what she believes can be done to improve them. To end off today's show, I'll be joined by the Executive Director of the Kamloops Central Business Improvement Association to talk about free parking in downtown Kamloops on Saturdays. Yes, City Council approved a motion to allow people to park downtown for free all weekend long during the busy holiday shopping season. So I'll be chatting about just how big of an impact that can have for people who are looking to do some Christmas shopping at our local small businesses located in the downtown area. So I'll be joined by Carl DeSantis to end off today's show. And in about 10 minutes time, I'll be joined by Glenn Suter. He's a TSN CFL analyst, and he'll be joining me to help break down what was an incredibly disappointing 5-13 and 13 BC Lions season. But to begin today's show, I wanted to talk a little bit about ride hailing. Yes, I've spoken briefly with officials from Uber and Lyft, the big guys in the industry, and they say they're still planning to begin operating in the province by Christmas. A statement I received from the general manager of Lyft in BC states... We are working closely with the Passenger Transportation Board to move our application for Region 1 forward as quickly as possible. We are working hard to recruit drivers, including offering free Class 4 education courses and opening two driver hubs with a third opening soon. We remain committed to the local community and will continue to work with the province and Metro Vancouver municipalities with the goal of bringing Lyft to the region by the busy holiday season. So that's from Lyft. I also got a statement from Uber's head of Western Canada that states... Uber's plan is to provide Metro Vancouver with safe, affordable, reliable rides this December to help people get home safely during the busy holiday season. Notice the theme there, eh? Uh, There are three things needed to launch operations approval from the Passenger Transportation Board, insurance from ICBC, and drivers with Class 4 licenses. The PTB has stated that they will finish their review of Transportation Network service applications within a few weeks. ICBC Insurance is now available, and it is in discussions about purchasing the product to ensure. Sure, every ride is covered and Uber continues to work with prospective drive partners to ensure they are ready to begin driving. The BC government's unique Class 4 license requirement is a barrier for many British Columbians interested in participating in ride-sharing because driver partners set their own hours. Uber requires a lot of partners to meet the expected high demand for ride-sharing services in Metro Vancouver, and given that, it expects that riders in Vancouver will experience longer wait times and may not be available in all areas of the region to start, but overall it will be a different experience than in other cities, and it hopes that it will work with the government to address these very solvable challenges. So although both the major companies are taking issue with some government policy here, it clearly isn't stopping them from coming, but it is taking a little bit longer than maybe some of the would-be clients out there would like to see. I can say the same for myself. Uh, when it comes to the situation here in Kamloops, well, those smaller players such as U-Ride that are looking to open up here are still aiming to begin operations before the end of the year as well. So there's clearly a theme in terms of the timeline that these guys want to be in operations, and it is, of course, before the quote-unquote busy, holiday season. Now it isn't all positive news on the ride-hailing front. The Supreme Court heard a case uh, just yesterday uh, pitting Uber drivers in Ontario against their employer. Uh, The issue is whether big companies like Uber should be able to take away their workers' rights to access the courts using fine print buried in a user agreement. The Community Legal Assistance Society filed a class action lawsuit on behalf of Uber drivers in Ontario. Greg Allen is a Vancouver-based lawyer who presented arguments to the Supreme Court yesterday. He says the case arose after an Uber driver signed an employment contract with Uber and it was one of the contracts that is you know, 30 pages long which he signed by clicking accept on his phone within the contract there was an arbitration provision Alan says that is pretty standard but this one said that the location of arbitration had to be in Holland yes in the Netherlands and in order to commence arbitration you would have to pay more than $14,000 U.S. Allen says the validity of that arbitration provision was challenged on a few bases, with one being that it was a fundamentally unfair bargain cause. It prevented this particular driver from practically enforcing any of the rights that he had under the contract. He says, in theory, arbitration is supposed to be a faster way to resolve disputes, but companies can put in these other provisions, like where the arbitration will be located and these commencement fees, which end up having a really uh, practical impact on their ability to pursue their claims, where, as if they had the chance to go through the courts like they would in a normal course, they wouldn't have all of these barriers. Host of NL Newsday, Brett Meneer, caught up with Greg Allen on this issue yesterday, and I just wanted to play a little bit of their conversation to try and bring some context onto this issue. Uh, You know, with companies like Uber planning to hit the streets here in B.C. before the end of this year, I thought this was an important issue to bring a little bit more light to, especially for those who are looking to drive for companies like Uber and Lyft.
2: Do you know how they arrived at that figure or why that's even there? Like, what do they argue the reasoning for that fee is?
3: It's a combination of
4: a couple of different fees. I know there's a, me- a mandatory mediation that happens before arbitration that has a fee associated with it, uh, and then the arbitration itself has a commencement fee. But ultimately, uh, at least to my understanding, companies can pick these fees out of thin air. Uh, to- they can they can decide on what the fee will be um, really of their own volition, and then their argument, at least, is that when the worker signs it by clicking accept on his or her phone, uh, they've agreed to those fees. And so that's, I think, why the court is interested because that at least from from our perspective that's fundamentally unfair and that's a bargain that the worker shouldn't be held to
2: well this is the thing especially if it's really kind of hidden away deep in the fine print of, of you know the app and the user agreement
4: that's right and the reality of modern life is is one you can't operate in modern life without signing some of these. If you want to use the the iTunes store, I know that's an old reference because I think they got rid of the iTunes store. If yeah. you want to you know, download a movie from Google, if you want to drive for Uber, if you want to take an Uber, you have to sign these agreements. And the practical mm-hmm. reality is that nobody reads them and nobody understands uh, what the provisions are that are buried deep within them.
2: Mm-hmm. What are the implications, uh, should you be successful in um, with the uh, Supreme Court of Canada, uh, your arguments that you made today, what are the implications, uh, the practical implications that we could see?
4: Well, I think if our side were to be successful, the court will likely strike down this particular arbitration provision, uh, and then will try to give a judgment that would give some guidance to uh, parties that are in similar circumstances in the future. So, you know, it's it's maybe a little colloquial, but what can companies get away with? Uh, I don't expect the court is going to make a statement against arbitration generally, uh, because as a jurisdiction, Canada has been in favor of arbitration, and this court, the Supreme Court, has. Uh, issue judgments that indicate that it's in favor of arbitration as a dispute resolution mechanism. Uh, but I think it's going to put some boundaries on that in terms of what is and is not appropriate, particularly when you have a relationship of unequal bargaining power. Uh, you know, it's not two companies of equal resources that are negotiating, it's it's a worker and a, a large multinational corporation.
2: Is it likely that uh, any kind of advice would be that, uh, you know, these uh, arbitrations have to be done in a, in a Canadian province or um, you know, in the province where the, the where the worker is or maybe would they make it uh, you know one for the whole country or I mean I it's I know I'm we're speculating here but um, I'm just trying to think of what the most sort of likely outcome would be if if you were successful here
4: I, I think that the court is unlikely to be that prescriptive about it I don't mm. think they're going to say arbitration should be brought in the jurisdiction where the worker lives or the fee should be this much but I think what they will do is they'll try and give future court's guidance as to what the lines of appropriateness are and so to look at certain factors when determining whether or not these clauses are enforceable, does the worker have to travel, uh, would the commencement fee likely be larger than the amount that was uh, in dispute if the worker was to have to pay a commencement fee um, you know what are the procedural requirements in the arbitration is it going to be a more expensive process than going to court or a less expensive process uh, and those sorts of things.
2: Uh, just wondering if just uh, finally here if, if you you could recap a little bit about uh, what prompted this for Mr. Heller, how he sort of began to go down this road.
4: Uh, So I actually don't know the underlying facts as to what uh, what the dispute came out of. I think it might be a dispute over overtime pay ah, or I something see. to do with his employment with Uber. Um, and Mr. Heller is actually the representative plaintiff of a class action. Mm-hmm. And so a class action is just a number of individuals with similar claims um, who bring them all together for efficiencies' purpose. And so there is some sort of issue with um, with Uber following employment standards, whether that's overtime, whether it's hours of work, I'm actually not sure. Yeah. Uh, and so Mr. Heller is the, the figurehead, if you will, of that.
1: Now, I don't know if this is a massive story at this point in time, but it's definitely something to consider if you are thinking about driving for Uber. Are you going to read those 30-page contracts before you sign them? Probably not. Probably not, but maybe you should. I had a chat in the summer with a privacy professional who, uh, you know, when this whole Facebook app came out that showed what you would look like in 30 years or whatever it was, the social media platform became old Facebook or whatever you want to call it for a couple of weeks. Anyways, she had told me that if we read terms and conditions on the apps that we use, the average person would spend upwards of 600 hours a year reading those contracts. That equals more than 25 days. Now, no one is spending that much time reading these terms and conditions, but maybe just maybe when it comes to an employment contract, you may want to take that extra few minutes. Now, when I say extra few minutes, it's more like probably an hour plus. And then after you read that once, you're going to have to read it again to actually try to understand what it is you just read. So yeah, probably not going to happen for most people, but it's just something to keep in mind. Uh, Yeah, so like I said, when I spoke to those Uber officials yesterday and they said the big issue for them remains that Class 4 license that drivers will be required to have, well, I don't think it's really as huge of a deal at the end of the day as they want you to believe it is. Uh, I think, you know, we maybe have made it out to be a bigger issue as a whole as well. Uh, It's a pain, sure, for potential drivers, but so is applying for any job. So at the end of the day, I mean, these companies are coming, you're going to use them, and someone is going to drive for them, and it's only a matter of time. Coming up after the break, the BC Lions ended up with five wins on the season, finishing the year with a record of five and thirteen, somehow finishing ahead of both Toronto and Ottawa in the overall standings. But still, it wasn't enough to save Devon Claybrooks' job, and the team will be looking for a new head coach next season. I'll be joined by TSN CFL analyst Glenn Souter after the break.
0: Radio NL, radionl.com, local news now.
1: Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Thursday, November 7th. The BC Lions fired head coach Devon Claybrooks yesterday, a few days after the team completed a disappointing 5-13 and 13 season with a 21-16 loss to Calgary. The Lions were able to win four in a row before losing their final three, which ultimately led to Claybrooks' demise. Clearly a disappointing season for the Lions after making that big free agency splash and signing quarterback Mike Riley. Here to help take a look back at the season that was in TSS, TSN CFL analyst Glenn Suter. Glenn, thanks so much for coming on with
3: me. Nice to be here, Jeff. Thanks. So,
1: I mean, Glenn, let's just start by taking a look back at yesterday's news. Devon Claybrooks, he was let go by the club. Um, Not much of a surprise, I don't think.
3: (sighs) No, not really. I mean, you know, the five wins, the fact that Mike Riley was the big free agent signing, as you mentioned, and that when you took a look at their team, I think early on you could say maybe they had to work on their O-line. Uh, you know, they gave up a lot of sacks early in the season. Uh, that change had to be made as far as their, their O-line coach and Kelly Bates and that replacement of Brian Chu, I thought was a good move, maybe too late in the process. Uh, you know, I think there were some Concerns coming out of camp that Devon Claybrooks had surrounded himself with some really young guys. I mean, outside of Rich Stubler, who was a real good friend of his, uh, he surrounded himself with a lot of young coaches. And some of them could potentially be very good coaches in the future. But it almost felt like coming out of training camp that Coach Claybrooks had said, you know, I want to get all my buddies and friends, and, and they're going to be part of the staff, and that's how we're going to work it. And, you know, I think the best approach you can take as a manager, head coach, president, whomever, that's in charge of a company or a football team, the best approach is to surround yourself with, with smarter and better people than you. And when you do that, your company will be successful. It's, it's uh, you know, check your ego at the door and don't worry about someone trying to take your job. Hire people that are smarter than you, and you should be okay. But, I, you know, I think he got sort of a a bunch of buddies around him, and, and maybe the preparation dropped. I'm speculating, but that's what a lot of the talk is right now, and one of the reasons that Devon Claybrooks uh, was fired.
1: Now, obviously, it was a pretty disappointing season for the Lions going 5-13. and 13. I guess, uh, you know, obviously coaching... It tends to be the ones who take the, the yeah. ultimate blame when it comes to a disappointing season. Coaches are the first to go, but how much do you think a responsibility lies on management in this season? I mean, they, they made the splash, they got some talent, but yet uh, weren't able to get as many wins as they were hoping to on the board. So how, how much uh, of a blame does management share in this disappointing season?
3: Yeah, Jeff. it's a great question because, you know, if, if, we, if we found out or find out, um, you know, the dynamic of the Devon Claybrooks-Ed Hervey combination, the general manager and head coach, because, you know, I said early in the year and I've said many times on radio this year that, uh, you know, I felt there were a couple of players that weren't living up to expectation not by a long shot, um, one of which was a receiver on offense in Deron Carter. And and Deron Carter came in as a big play receiver and had one catch over 30 yards all season, and that was in the very first game of the year. And that player, I thought, and I think many did, underachieved drastically for the team and yet he stayed on the roster and that if that decision was made by the head coach and Devon Claybrooks um, you know that that's fine that he is now paid the price for it for decisions like that if that was made though by Ed Hervey and only they know that um, then Ed Hervey bears some responsibility here and should and and a ton of it overall anyway but but just in a decision like that alone he has to bear a lot of the responsibility if he was um, sort of making that decision and micromanaging the, the situation. Because if you have a guy that is underachieving, is just not getting it done, and he is still starting, the, the entire locker room is sort of looking at each other saying, well, I thought it was about our production, our hard work, both, on and off the field in other words in the meeting rooms in practice all of it and when you do all that and you check all those boxes then you get to start and then you get a chance to become a star in the league but if you get that opportunity without checking those boxes now you start to wonder as a player well you know what who, is this just somebody's buddy is this just a guy that they like or whatever and they and and you know he's getting favoritism here because if that if that dynamic happens in a room the integrity of it just collapses and i, I think that was a problem this year for them
1: uh, how quickly do you, or, or how difficult do you think it will be to turn this around next season? I mean, when you look at the first 11 games of the season for the Lions, I mean, they went 1-10, but there were quite a few closer games in that stretch. I mean, do you think this is something that can be turned around quickly and see a drastic improvement next year?
3: I, I really do because, you know, I think the teams that have have struggled this year, like like let's take, take Ottawa, for example, and just sort of make the comparisons because Ottawa... Doesn't have a quarterback at this point. I mean, I'm not sure what happened to Jonathan Jennings. He's going to be a great study in sports psychology one day because the guy is a, as a backup to Travis Lule for the BC Lions through for 5,000 yards one year and that has just fallen off. Um, but he, but the Ottawa Red Blacks don't have a quarterback. The BC Lions have a star quarterback, a champion. So, that is where in football it begins if you have that guy then it really isn't that difficult. You can make the change. You can turn the corner and become a good team and even a great team quite quickly because now it's just, you know, a receiver here, an extra old lineman there, uh, a, one more dominant pass rusher that they could possibly get maybe in free agency, or maybe it's a young guy that we don't know yet, but he comes in. I think their secondary is solid. Maybe one more linebacker um that can, can, can help them just take another step on defense, which I thought was pretty good in the back half of the season, to be honest. I thought their defense came around pretty well. So, you know, yet now you're two or three players, either free agents or new rookies coming in, that – you, you, can, you can add to the roster, and, and just like that, you'll become a very good team. And then as you build together, you can become a great team. But you have to have that piece, and that piece is quarterback, and the Lions have it. Other teams don't. That's going to be a problem, but the Lions do have their guy.
1: Uh, not a lot of time here, Glenn, but I did want to just get your quick take on the playoffs. Uh, you know, uh, the uh, CFO playoffs start this weekend. Saskatchewan, of course, got the bye in the West, but uh, do you think uh, that the Stamps are the team to beat
3: still? Um, well, I think if you're defending champions, you're you're you are defending champions till you get knocked off the top of the mountain. So, you know, with that said, and and Bo Levi Mitchell's sort of win loss record and success in the playoffs, and I I think, yeah, you have to say that even though they're going to host the semi this weekend and they have Winnipeg coming in town, they got to take care of business there. I I still think I don't know if they're favorite. I think when you finish first. You've earned the respect. You've, you've earned the right to be favorite in your division. So let's give Saskatchewan and Hamilton that respect. But beyond that, man, Calgary is still there as long as they got Bo Levi Mitchell healthy. Yep. You know they're a great, great football team.
1: Well, Glenn, thanks so much for coming on and taking the time to speak to me. I really appreciate it. And uh, enjoy some postseason football this weekend. Great. Thanks, Jeff. That Anytime. Was, yes, that was uh, TSN CFL analyst Glenn Suter. Coming up after the break, I'll be talking accessibility issues in BC, so stick around.
0: You're listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 a.m. News Talk and RadioNL.com.
1: Welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show, and thanks for joining me here on this Tuesday. BC Minister of Social Development and Poverty Reduction Shane Simpson will be hosting a consultation session here in Kamloops on Tuesday evening to get some input on BC legislation when it comes to accessibility. I'm joined on the phone now by Jessica Vliegenhart. She's a personal injury lawyer, athlete, wife, mother, and paraplegic. Jessica, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. So let me just start with this simple question here. I mean, we were going to have you come in, but unfortunately, NL Studios here are not uh, overly accessible. Um, So, I mean, we're doing this via phone, and I mean, it's unfortunate, but how common of a problem is this for you throughout this province and here in Kamloops? I mean, you had mentioned to me yesterday that there's, you know, no mandate to even make new buildings accessible. So just, you know, how concerning is that for you as someone who who could use some more, uh, you know, uh, aids when it comes to those accessibility issues?
5: Yeah, you know, it's, it's a common problem, and I think it's a lot more common than people realize. Uh, I've used a wheelchair for 15 years now, and uh, when I first acquired my spinal cord injury, I thought, okay, all right, that's it's fine, I got this, I got this, I'll just rock life in a wheelchair. I had no idea how much um, inaccessibility was going to come into my life, and like you said, you know, you and I planned on doing this interview in person, which is always ideal, and then We figured out that I actually can't get into the NL studios, which means, uh, you know, people, disabled people's voices aren't being heard as often. No one can work at that station. You know, there's a lot of barriers that exist because of physical uh, access problems.
1: So what is your biggest issue, I guess, with current legislation as it stands now? Because when we had talked yesterday, you had said, uh, you know, B.C. almost seems to be a little bit behind when it comes to accessibility legislation compared to other provinces. So where are your biggest issues, I guess, with where things stand right now?
5: My current issue, my biggest issue is that nothing exists. Uh, you and I chatted yesterday about Ontario, and Ontario has had an act in place since 2005. And the reason it's been in place that long is because if the government tomorrow were suddenly to put a law in place that said, okay, every public space, that means you know, businesses, schools, anything like that, needs to be physically accessible, it's going to take some time. That stuff doesn't happen overnight. And so Ontario's had their act in place since 2005. They have a goal of making places physically accessible by 2025, so a 20-year window. So my issue is that BC currently has nothing. And again, even if they were to enact something tomorrow, there would likely need to be a 20-year window before we'd really see it take effect.
1: Yeah, so it's obviously going to take quite a bit of time, uh, even once legislation is enacted, if and when legislation is enacted, to start really seeing some progress. Um, so uh, are you planning to attend the meeting here on Tuesday with uh, Shane Simpson while he's in town? Or, or what are your uh, your message, I guess, to people who are planning to attend that meeting?
5: You know what? I would love to attend the meeting, unfortunately. I am in Toronto for a conference. What are the chances? Um, I would strongly encourage people to get out and get to that meeting This is your chance to have your voice heard. Um, If the minister is in attendance, that's amazing. Um, Even if he isn't, he's gonna have maybe a deputy or some of his staff there. And this is the chance for them to see how this is affecting people's lives. Um, if you can't get to the meeting, there is uh, an ability to participate online. They've set up um, some online forums where you can write in uh, your perspective on what you would like to see in terms of accessibility legislation. And I really encourage anybody you, you know that has access to a computer to you know take a look at some of the acts that exist. Uh, Ontario is a great one. There's some in the Maritimes as well. Well, provinces have been making moves towards this as well as the Americans with Disabilities Act it's been in place since the 80s um, you can learn a lot by by what's already in existence
1: now, if you were to be able to attend, I'm sure you've sort of touched on it through your first couple of responses here, but if you were to able to be in person, I guess, what would be your direct message to Shane Simpson in terms of, um, you know, progress that you would like to see made? What what are the initial steps that you think could be implemented very quickly, and do you have sort of maybe one overarching message that you would like to give?
5: Oh, implemented very quickly. Um, that's a tough one. I, I, think, I think I'd think i like to see something happen soon um, and I know that's a bit uh, uh, a bit gray and nonspecific, but um, I think the, one, the key message that I'd like the government to hear is that for a, for a law to have peace, It needs to have some way of enforcing it, Um, and I know in the United States, that's often by way of fines, and uh, I was chatting with you yesterday, and I said, look, I get it. You know, nobody wants to be out there sort of, you know, issuing fines and making businesses more stressed than they already are, but also, I'm a small business person. I know how busy our days get. We're just all trying to you know, keep our clients happy and keep our kids happy and get dinner on the table. Unfortunately I don't pay attention to things until they have big red flags on them and something like accessibility legislation would need to have some kind of way to enforce it that gets people's attention um, and and makes it not optional. Because if it's optional, I think it's just going to get pushed to the back burner again.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely an issue that we have, uh, especially when it comes to any government policy that, uh, you know, it's often dry to look through and to read and to understand, so a lot of people just don't take the time to necessarily go about doing that. I'm here with Jessica Vlegenhard. Now, I just want to ask as well, because uh, we're talking here on a provincial level, and, and, you know, things take a little bit longer the higher up you get in, in government, so the more senior government you get the longer things seem to take uh, I just wanted to ask here about our local government here in Kamloops I guess uh, you know when it comes to accessibility here in the city uh, do, you, do you find that there's a little bit more progress being made compared to those provincial le- levels
5: uh, I think there's certainly appetite right now with our current council uh, I know Councilor Sadie Hunter is really motivated to make some changes around town she's striking some committees um, I think I think there's always room for improvement um, there's there's uh, there's great initiatives in the, the, the within the city of Kamloops itself. So like our, our staffed city workers um, that are doing some pretty cool things. Like a couple years ago, they retrofitted Macarthur um, Macarthur Island Arena to be accessible for sledge hockey, which is really cool. Um, but there's obviously still work to be done on that front, and I think initiatives like the things that Sadie Hunter's. Is is getting going will be pretty cool, um, and also again, you know things like uh, you know the referendum on the performing arts center. Like I am so hopeful that that will go through because currently the accessibility in the sagebrush leaves a lot to be desired. I mean, it's a building from the 60s. There's only so much you can do, but a new space would, we'd have the opportunity to make it super accessible for everyone, and that would allow, you know, kids with disabilities to be in the performing arts as well as adults with disabilities, which would be awesome
1: and hopefully if that project were to go ahead there would at least be some legislation in place by then uh, to mandate the fact that that be an accessible building at least you would hope
5: I mean I do hope um, if there's no legislation in place I plan to make my little voice super loud so that <laughs> it's something they can't overlook and, and I'm really confident in the, in the group that's running that project or, or involved in that project that accessibility will be um, top of their list because here's the fun fact about accessibility the more accessible it building the easier it is for literally everyone to use it you don't have to have a disability to to um use those features i mean it's parents with little kids with strollers it's people who you know have a knee injury when they're skiing and they're kind of laid up for a couple months something like that the more that the building and the physical space uh is accessible, the, again, the easier it is for literally everybody.
1: It's true, and I think that sometimes maybe, you know, a lot of people overlook is, is uh, you know, they take for granted the fact that, you know, they are more uh, able, easily able to, to take advantage of features like stairs and things like that, but once, you know, something happens and they're stuck on crutches for a little while, then they, they finally realize how difficult life can be if you are faced with some sort of disability. So, uh, yeah, definitely something to keep in mind, I guess. Uh, just one more question while I have you here, Jessica. I mean, just what is the importance of this, um, you know, local people? to sort of take the initiative when it comes to making some change you had mentioned you know the council has done some work and there are some committees being struck um, and that's sort of going to help push the the province and other senior levels to 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 make some changes Um, I just wanted to know sort of how you feel about the importance of starting things at the local level and and just you know, obviously you're, you're a little bit proud of some of the work that's ongoing but more probably needs to be done so just what is the what is your overall view of work being done at a local level and just you know what is your message to those doing that work to make sure it continues to push forward
5: I think it's great. You know, I really appreciate the time that goes that goes into this. Um I know it's not easy. I know there's a lot there there can be a lot of resistance because oftentimes people Uh, you know, they think about accessibility and they see the dollar signs that go along with retrofitting buildings. Um, You know, if there's any business owners listening to this, I'd say one step that you could do right now is simply put accessibility information on your business's website. Let us know. Let us know what the access is like. Because, again, not everybody... um, not everybody who uses a wheelchair can't walk, and um, you know one or two stairs might not be a barrier. Um, if you do have uh, wheelchair access, let us know. Um, people with disabilities um, were we're super good at sourcing information and figuring out where we can go, and it would um, a, a real, really simple step is just putting that information out there. I know tourism Calopps is Working at doing that as well, identifying what um, businesses and, and um, outings around Camloops are are accessible, and um, and again, accessibility isn't one size fits all. What might be an issue for someone isn't for another person. So again, just let us know. Do you have one stair to get into your building? Is it a flight of stairs? Um, just just put that information somewhere where we can find it, and then it that helps us be uh, um, more active in the community too.
1: Awesome. Yeah, definitely. Another thing that uh, people don't often think about is, uh, you know, just how much planning goes into sometimes taking an outing. So thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate you taking the time. I think it's an important issue that uh, people deserve to hear a little bit more about. And like I said, there's that uh, information session or consultation session, if you will, on Tuesday evening. So Jessica, thanks so much for coming on the show and taking the time to speak with me. And I'm sure we'll do this again soon.
5: Thanks for having
1: me, Jeff. Awesome. That was Jessica Vliegenhardt. She is a uh, champion here in the city of Kamloops when it comes to accessibility. Now, uh, coming up after the break, I'm going to be joined by the executive director of the Kamloops Central Business Improvement Association, Carl DeSantis, will be here after the break, so stick around.
0: Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 a.m. News Talk and RadioNL.com. Downtown, things will be great when you're
1: downtown. Don't wait a minute. All right, welcome back here on November the 7th, and thanks for tuning in to the Jeff Andreas Show. Carl, I had to play your theme song.
6: You know what? I've been coming in here for about two years. You're now my favorite guy. That Howie guy, I've been asking for a theme song. I never got it. That Woodford guy, we shipped him off to, you know, over Europe somewhere. You're my favorite guy.
1: Perfect. Well, I appreciate that, and I appreciate you coming in here today. Um, So, yeah, I'm here with Carl DeSantis, the Executive Director of the Kamloops Central Business Improvement Association. So, uh, how are you doing here today?
6: I'm fantastic. Happier now that I've got my own theme song. There you go. Yeah, we'll
1: make sure we play it every time. Um, So, good news for some down downtown businesses here uh this week I'm sure um you know some parking issues were sorted out uh, you guys were hoping to see some free parking on Saturdays and mm-hmm. it looks like council has granted that request and I believe that starts
6: this weekend yes very appreciative of this for the downtown business community uh to encourage more people to come downtown and uh and, and do some shopping and go and enjoy our, our our menus in the various restaurants and things saturday is a good day to start we've got the blazers game saturday as well so you know what before the blazers game I'm hoping that the community comes down, supports their downtown, and then off to the game.
1: Perfect. I mean, do you think that that's uh, a big issue for a number of potential customers is that, you know, there isn't free parking and not only is it hard to find, but once you find it, then you got to fill around with those machines that
6: sometimes aren't the most user-friendly? Well, sure. I I, I hear feedback like that for sure. Is it the biggest deterrent? I don't think it's the biggest deterrent, but uh, you know what? It just removes one more barrier for people to come downtown and uh, really supports local and we really appreciate that.
1: Um, So obviously this is just going to be happening over the course of November, December. Is this something that a lot of businesses have been kind of harping on when it
6: comes to other times of the year as well? well? I'm not really harping on it. What I think the business is, the, the key message I hear from them is uh, a longer-term parking strategy for businesses to encourage and uh, retain businesses downtown, to encourage uh, more employees and uh, business growth. Those are the conversations I have because there's not a lot of employee parking downtown or it, so it appears. So uh, my understanding right now, uh, looking ahead, the city has engaged a, a third party or will be engaging a third party to uh, do a study, a longer term parking solution study. We're looking forward to collaborating with the city and uh, and that organization. And you know what, They're, they'll be neutral and uh, they'll be uh, able to identify whether or not we actually do have uh, some parking challenges downtown. We all have opinions, but let's get some facts so that we can make some informed decisions going ahead.
1: Yeah, so the city is working on that parking strategy. I don't know when that's necessarily going to be coming forward, but they're working on it now. Um, I guess, are you hoping or are you planning to provide some feedback onto what that might look like, or are you kind of waiting to see what that initial draft looks like first?
6: No, we're absolutely going to be part of this process and uh, the conversations. Um, in fact, yesterday we had a conversation with the city and bylaw, and we look forward to uh, meeting with and collaborating with this uh, external agency, whoever they may be, uh, in the week or so to come, and uh, and providing our feedback.
1: Do you have any idea what uh, you might be providing yet at this point? I mean, just to say, you know, we need more parking is pretty generic and might be a little bit of a difficult feedback to take and actually do anything with. So, I mean, yeah. do you just do you have any sort of idea what
6: um, potential proposals you might be making yet? Yeah, you know what? I, I, I think it... it it's a little premature to make a proposal. I think we need to get to the point where we accurately understand the needs of our businesses. How many businesses are without employee parking? How many stalls do they need? Are, do they plan to grow? Looking uh, at some of the uh, organizations and the businesses who are looking to set up in our city, we want to remove those barriers. We want to make sure that downtown is a, a viable place for uh, for the community to set up. And if that means that we need to identify parking solutions for employees, for them, that's the information that we need.
1: Yeah, I know the city has been kind of uh, pushing people maybe to use their vehicles less. I mean, is that something that you're hearing from business community as well that maybe they want to see less vehicles because
6: once you do park downtown I mean you are taking up a a spot that a customer could potentially use absolutely so yeah transportation choices alternate transportation choices is something that we need as a community as a you know global effort uh, to to identify it's not just about uh, driving downtown it could be uh, bicycles uh, um, the buses other things like that of course but uh, but the geography of our city is certainly challenging and limiting somewhat Uh, you know people who work downtown aren't likely to to ride a bicycle uh from Aberdeen uh down the mountain and uh, back up a mountain. So so we still need to balance all of those interests for sure.
1: Yeah, maybe going down the mountain's not so bad, but uh, yeah, I would think so. <laughs> heading home might not yeah. be the most fun. <laughs>
6: um yeah, uh, anything else you want to add on that issue of parking? I have uh, have you in here? No, you know what? I, I just really do look forward to uh, the collaboration with the city and uh, w- through, after the meeting yesterday with Byron and uh, Tammy from Bylaw, we're really, really uh, looking forward to and uh, anticipate really good collaboration for the downtown businesses so that we can work towards a, a longer-term parking solution.
1: Uh, I also did want to ask, I mean, you mentioned you uh, you met with the city yesterday and parking was among the things you talked about. Yeah. I mean, what else was uh, kind of on your agenda?
6: That was it. That we had a. It was funny because uh, sometimes uh, uh, it takes a long time to get these meetings together. Mm-hmm. I met with my board yesterday morning. This was a discussion item. Parking was a discussion item. I, I reached out to the city, and uh, within a few hours, we were at the table with the city talking about this. And uh, you know, you you got to really appreciate things and uh, take the small wins. And that was uh, actually a big win for us. Wow! Quick turnaround for you guys. Yeah.
1: um I also saw. I believe it was on Twitter that you did meet with RCMP as well. Can you talk a little bit about what the nature of that chat was?
6: Y- yeah. You know it was our board meeting, and we invited them to come and talk about all things downtown, the the safety social efforts that they're involved in, and uh, some of their strategies, and the superintendent and the inspector, uh, they obliged us. They they talked about what is happening downtown from their lens. Uh, They got some fantastic feedback, very supportive feedback from our board members uh, appreciating everything that they do. I mean, they're not going into the tactical side of the operation, of course they can't, uh, but it's reassuring to know that uh, uh, they understand the needs of downtown. and uh, some of the uh, crime trends that, uh, that, that they've seen, and they're certainly responding to them.
1: How are you guys feeling as a downtown community about, uh, you know, things that have been made in terms of progress when it comes to safety? I know, like, in the summer, you know, there were some issues when it came to the safe injection van, and, and there was some talk about potential cameras going up around the downtown core. Right. Um, just sort of how are you guys feeling about how things have progressed
6: since, I guess, maybe August? I, I meet with and I talk with the businesses regularly uh, to ask questions just like that. And there is an overwhelming sense of comfort with what's going on downtown. Sure, we, we have problems and challenges. Every community does. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but the majority of uh, the activity downtown is positive. And uh, uh, we're seeing a lot of people on the streets. A little quiet right now with the weather trend uh, changing for the cooler. But, uh, but that will shift again for us. But, uh, no, I think we're doing very well. Awesome.
1: Well, Carl, thanks so much for coming in. I really appreciate you taking the time. Anything else you want to throw on the table while you're here? Got I about do. a minute left. I've so. got a
6: minute. I'm going to throw a big shout out to the give, uh, give cancer, the finger, uh, event coming up on the 28th of November, five 30 to 1130. Steve Passmore is leading the charge on this. Uh, you can go online and get some tickets for this for men's health, uh, issues. It's going to be at the shark club and, uh, I'll be there and I encourage everybody downtown and throughout the city to join us.
1: Awesome. Well, Carl, thanks so much for coming in. I always appreciate you taking the time and, uh, we look forward to seeing you around downtown. Thank you very much. Awesome. That was Here's Carl DeSantis, the Executive Director of the Kamloops Central Business Improvement Association. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests one more time for taking the chance to, to join me and listen in. And and of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening into this program. Of course, this wouldn't exist without you. So thank you so much. And remember, whether you join me here for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow morning at nine.